Superman had no clue who he was. When he took his glasses off, everybody knew who he was. But whether Superman had, I can't see any of you, uh, which is good for some of you, but not, uh, no, just uh, so, but when Superman, uh, whether he had his glasses on or his glasses off, whether he was Clark Kent or the Man of Steel, he knew who he really was at the core of himself. I wonder how many of us, as believers in Jesus, know who we are at the core of ourselves. Right? Like I'm watching this radio or listening to this radio show. I, I listen to uh, Family Life Today. I don't know if you do, uh, but it, it, uh, on the show, one of the hosts of the show, Ann Wilson, she asked this simple question. She's like, I want you to answer this question. Uh, she was leading a small group, and so there were all new women in her small group, and she was discipling these women. And she said, I want you to answer this question. Who are you? Now think about how you would answer that question. Who are you? I mean, uh, depending on who in the crowd that I'm with, uh, I might be, you know, Pastor Ryan with the, the stand and, you know, usually, you know, behind on what I should have done, right? And so, uh, but, or sitting in an office chair or reading a book or something. So you might picture me as, uh, uh, or I might picture myself as Pastor Ryan, or uh, I could talk about how I'm, I'm married, and, and this is an important part, right? I mean, it's, it's probably one of the ways I would identify myself when I answer the question of who I am. Or I might say, uh, if I had this hat on at the bobsled track, I would say I'm an uh, IBSF official. And so this is the hat that I have to wear to be an official at the track. And so I might have this hat on, or I might have, uh, you know, my, my firefighter hat on, uh, depending on if I get called to a fire, you know, if, if there's a fire in town. I might have this hat on, uh, or I might... Um, be carrying this, which we got the nursery almost ready, but um, uh, we might, might be carrying this soon, you know? And, and is, is my identity wrapped up in, in being a father? Like, is that something that's important? Um, so there's lots of ways I could answer the question of who I am, but biblically, what, what does the Bible say that I am? So Anne is talking about this, Anne Wilson, who I feel like I know her because I listen to her radio show uh, with her husband, and um, they're just phenomenal, the new hosts of that show. And uh, she says, now, as you've thought about who you are, and here's her quote, now try to answer the question without using your job or what you do with your time or what your family's been up to uh, in answering that question. So don't include anything that you do don't include uh, any of your titles. Don't include your jobs. Who are you? So if you strip everything from yourself away, who are you at your core? Was asked that by a counselor one time. Was like, I don't know. I guess that's why I'm here, right? So, um, but, but who are you? Who are we as believers at our core? We read some words today in the scripture. We're going through Mark still, Mark chapter 8. Uh, and as we're going through this, we're going to read uh, a little bit of Jesus poking out that same question. And then we're going to try to circle around and answer that through the message later. We're going to look at what scripture has to say really at the beginning of Genesis about who we really are. Because if we know who we really are, then whether I'm unbuttoning my shirt and my Superman gear, I won't. Don't worry. I'm not going to do that today. No spandex up front. Uh, it, it shouldn't change. Whether I've got my firefighter hat on or whether I have my dad hat on or whether I have 
my, my, well, my ring's always on, uh, but uh, whether I have my ring on, now that, you know, when you're, when you're first married, you sort of need the ring to, you know, hold off the ladies. Now it's sort of like, no, 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 somebody really thinks I'm cute, you know? It's like, uh, it's got a different usage the older you get. No, somebody thinks I'm cute. Um, it's, she's stuck with me, right? So uh, let's read some verses in, in Mark chapter 8 uh, as Jesus begins to kind of poke at this question here. So Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 31, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. So this is Jesus in Mark chapter 8. He's prophesying, hey, here's what's going to happen, all right? Uh, and then verse 32, and he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, so, all right, let's sit ourselves in there and think about this scene a little bit. So he's rebuking Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone, all right, so the scene began with him talking to who? Pete, who? who? I, just somebody louder, I'm deaf. His Disciples, yes, so all, all the disciples are there, and then he focuses on Peter, but he turns himself so that everybody could see and hear what he's saying to Peter, so his disciples can hear what he's saying to Peter, and then verse 34, he does what? At the beginning of the verse, it says he calls the crowd, all right, he does not call all the boys to the yard, all right, he's calling the crowd to him, two people got that, with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Okay, I'm going to read that again. If anybody, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. All right, verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses it for my sake, and the gospels will save it. Verse 35 is our underliner. That's where we're going to focus today in a minute. Verse 36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. All right, the reading of God's word, right? So, um, so you've got this, this story. Now, Jesus has been... Uh, we, we've been getting to know Jesus through the scriptures. We're a little bit over a year out uh, from Jesus actually going to the cross. So he's really beginning to re, uh, reveal himself and what's going to happen. Begin to prophecy about what's going to happen. There's going to be, again, three of those in the book of Mark in consecutive chapters 8, 9, and 10 as Jesus lays forward that he's going to go to the cross, but he's going to raise again. Um, but uh, Jesus, in this beginning scene, in the beginning verses, uh, Jesus gives the prediction, and then uh, it, it says in uh, verse 33, as, as Jesus is talking to Peter and rebuking Peter with just the disciples there, he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Only thing you need to know about that is we all uh, can falter. The fact that Peter is put up on a pedestal and he's actually called Satan by Jesus because of what he had believed, we all are at fault. We all have the ability to fall into uh, uh, believing wrong things. We're just setting the scene with that verse. Then verse 34, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Right? Like if I'm Jesus 
and I'm trying to begin this movement called the church, and I know I've got a little over a year to do that at this point in time, I'm probably going to say, come follow me, and I will give you a puppy dog. Right? I mean, we're going to give we're going to make it as bright and shiny as we can to get as many followers as we can. So this is not Jesus talking to uh, his disciples alone and correcting their behavior. This is Jesus evangelistic uh, message. I want you to do three things. I want you to deny yourself if you're going to follow me. Prerequisites for following Jesus. Deny yourself. I want you to take up your cross and I want you to follow me. Does that sound like a great evangelistic plan? I mean, if you're trying to gain followers, if you're trying to uh, begin the church, is that really a smart way to do it? I want you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and then you come follow me. Like, think about where these crowds are at. These crowds have seen the feeding of the 4,000 or heard about it. These crowds have seen, heard, experienced the feeding of the 5,000. They've seen the miracles of Jesus in all these great things that Jesus is able to do and doing as he's revealing himself. And some of these people have believed that Jesus was just this guy that would feed them and this guy that would heal them and this guy that would do these cool miracles. It's like entertainment, you know? It's like, you know, probably PG entertainment, but it's still entertainment. Let's watch it, you know? And then Jesus comes off with his message that is just crazy. Like, who does Jesus think he is, God? Four people got that. All right, we're working on this. To, but, but Jesus starts, and it's kind of this two-part message. Uh, before you follow me, you're going to have to learn what it means. You're going to have to choose to deny yourself. This whole thing starts with you agreeing that things aren't working uh, with you as the center of your life. That's how this begins. With, with you at the center of your life, nothing works. And so Jesus begins this message. He says, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to make a decision. The line in the sand. Uh, uh, you, you just go ahead and I want you to stick a stake in the ground. And, you know, I, I want you to, whatever your analogy is. But you've got you to gotta decide. There's got to be like a day where uh, Jesus has been proposing to you for a while. You say, yes. There's a day, and on that day, you choose to deny yourself. You choose to dethrone yourself. This, is, this encompasses everything from my wants, my desires, my aspirations, my longings, my goals, my dreams. Some people get married, and they don't realize that the same message applies in, in marriage. And they go into marriage thinking, and especially guys, thinking that their wife is going to fulfill every single fantasy that they will ever have. And women have the same sort of fantasy, probably a little more PG, uh, but the same idea of a fantasy of, you know, this guy on a white uh, horse and who's just going to come in and going to save the day and be the superhero in her life. And the reality is you're married, and, and, and the goal of marriage, a good marriage, is to learn to deny your wants and elevate the other person, right? And so, a little marriage tidbit there for you. You may want to start doing that. Um, but, but secondly, Jesus says, so first, deny yourself. You dethrone yourself. Secondly, he says, I want you to take up your cross and then follow me. 
take up your cross, uh, literally be willing to die for Jesus. This is the commitment portion. Uh, not many of you will probably, in, in your lifetime, you may not die for Jesus, physically die for Jesus. All right? But you are, say, there is a commitment in following Jesus. This isn't a, a flippant attitude. This isn't some sort of prosperity gospel where Jesus makes you healthy, wealthy, and wise. Jesus squashes that. Jesus squashes a false gospel of uh, a convenient gospel uh, where we just compartmentalize Jesus can have Sunday in just an hour because I don't want to do Sunday school. You know, like it's not about compartmentalizing. Uh, it's that Jesus is the all in all. I mean, think about uh, our armed forces. There's a reason why the army's uh, number one uh, number one aspect of being in the army is uh, that they teach is loyalty. For the Air Force, uh, their motto is service before self. Uh, for the Coast Guard, ex semper uh, paratus. Uh, I may have pronounced that wrong. Uh, it means always be ready to obey a directive that's given. Uh, the Navy is loyalty to my country. For the Marines, it's semper fi, which means always faithful or always loyal. There is a commitment in following Jesus. There's a commitment in following Jesus. There's a denial of self. God, I am not on the throne. There's a denial uh, of just a, a flippant attitude towards following Jesus. There is commitment in following Jesus. We're called to uh, be committed to enthrone Jesus and dethrone ourselves continually. And Jesus is clear, then follow me. Then follow me. Because people have been following Jesus for two years and not really following him in their heart. Okay? Verse 35 and 36. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. Jesus is wanting you to lose something, and that's yourself. And I was doing my devotions probably about a month ago, and I'm in my journal, and I'm like, wow. Jesus wants me to lose myself. How can he ask that? of me. What is the greater glory that's in following Jesus that would be, I would be willing to lose myself? And you can go a lot of places there, a lot of biblical places to answer that question. He's worthy. He's God. Those are great. But the one I want to focus on today is that in losing ourselves and finding Jesus, in dethroning Ryan and enthroning Jesus as the Lord of my life, what I gain when I lose Ryan is a new identity. That's what he does, right? Like 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that he's, he's made you a, a brand new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. In that transition of following Jesus, what happens is he hands you a new identity. And if we miss that, we will build our life on all these things, and we will stack them up. I'm not going to stand on them. We would try to stand on these. My life will be built on things that will have an expiration date that will wear out and that were never designed to be my identity. They were never designed. Everybody was made with fingerprints and ears that are different from everybody else's. And those fingerprints and those ears were made 
special by God and by his hands informed. And he's given each one of us an identity. His fingerprints are all over his creation. Talked about this last week. And we got to get a biblical understanding of what is my identity? What is the spandex underneath of Ryan? Because there's going to be a day where your kids will leave the house, and then you will have to decide. Now, what's your identity? There will be a day where it's probably soon where I'm too fat to go into a fire, right? So, like, there will be a day. Um, there will be a day where, uh, you know what, the bobsled track is probably going to, you know, maybe, maybe hurt my feelings and I'll leave. I, I don't know. Maybe I'll get fired. There will be a day where as a pastor, you know what, I'm going to get bit by sheep and I'm just going to, you know, it's going to end. Or I'll get too old to preach. Hopefully the second one. I'll get too old to preach. I'll lose my voice. Right? There'll be a day where Molly will die or I'll die. And if that's my identity, then what's going to happen? But if we put our identity in the right place, the biblical place, which I believe there's only one, the biblical place for our identity, it will never change and it will always be the correct foundation for you and for me. So what is it? Oh, we built up to that, right? Maybe I'm the only one that's excited about it. So what is it? Ah, I don't know. No. Um, our original spandex suit is the answer. Your original spandex suit that says super you is, is the thing. We're going to go back to Genesis, and I'm going to give you uh, A, B, C, D, E, and F, all right, on what that looks like. What was our identity in the initial creation before the fall? The fall was where man sinned. The initial creation is where Jesus is bringing us back to. All right? When you began to follow Jesus, God is going back to the original way that he designed you. He is trying to get everything redeemed back to before sin marred the picture. So let's turn uh, to Genesis. We're making it easy this morning. Turn to Genesis chapter 1 as God begins uh, to reveal through his word what our identity is. Uh, number one, uh, the imprint of God was in us from the beginning. The imprint of God, we'll crescendo to the, the phrase here, but uh, the imprint of God was in us from the beginning. Uh, Genesis 1.27 says that he made us in his image. This is what we, uh, we began last week's message by talking about that, that just like in my uh, the, the little, little kids Sunday school class, praise Jesus that Betty helped me out with them because they were crazy. Uh, we, we took Play-Doh this morning and we talked about being created in God's image and as we molded together the Play-Doh, uh, my fingerprints were all over it and we looked at my fingerprints all over this little creation that you are made in God's image. This is uh, God taking time on us. This is a huge part of uh, understanding where our identity is to, be li to lie in. I mean, have you ever wondered where uh, your desire to belong came from? I mean, think about all the stupid things, especially guys, that you did in high school to try to belong to something. All right, college students, you're probably still doing it. Uh, adults, you're probably still doing it, right? All the dumb things that we did that were dangerous, that probably got us tickets and, and some of you arrested, that we tried to do to belong somewhere. And God says, no, my fingerprints are all over. It's like your dog tags. I mean... Your identity is there. It's in God's image. Fingerprints are all over you. 
They gave you a home. You belong somewhere. You belong. Love going to the Wild Center, because every time I go there, we're members, and so every time I go there, I get a sticker that says, I belong, right? It makes me feel good every time. When I don't feel like I belong, I go to the Wild Center. I just want to get the stickers, right? I belong. Just have all over. Just give me three, you know? Take them from the kids. You know, a kid walks out. Oh, you're leaving? Can I have your belong sticker? It makes me feel good. God's belong sticker is all over you. B, uh, there is affirmation that we find before the fall. And God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Genesis 1.31. And behold, it was very good. Think about how great it felt for some of you, and how some of you unfortunately just longed for this and never heard this. How great that it felt when your parents acknowledged that you had accomplished something. That you got positive affirmation from your family. And I know, some of you, that's like, ooh, I didn't get that, and I'm sorry. But in the garden, God, God waited until man and woman were made, and he looks at them, and he said, it is very good. God, God gives affirmation to his children. This is good news. In our relationship with God, there is constant affirmation. Even in our correction, there is constant affirmation. Go get him, tiger. Let's do it. You know, picks you up, dusts you off, kicks you out the door. Go get it. Go do it. He says, there, this is very good. God is looking at you in Christ, and he's saying, it is very good. It is very good. Your worst day as a believer in Jesus Christ. God looks at you, and he says, very good. There's no lack of affirmation on your worst day. See, there is rest and peace. What did God do on the seventh day? Genesis 2-2. Two, 2-2, two? <laughs> two, two? <laughs> sorry, didn't plan that. Uh, he rested on the seventh day. God has built in uh, to creation this day of rest. You know what he did on that day? I don't know, but I like to think what he did is he built a barca lounger, oh, uh, a lazy boy recliner, he kicked back and he just hung out with Adam and Eve. He just rested from all of his work. God has built in for you and I this great thing called rest in him. God has called you to a day of rest each week, whether you acknowledge it or not. But when you learn what it means to rest in him, to grab his word and to just rest in him, you will find a peace that is transformative. We always think we need to do, and God is saying be. Uh, D, there, is, there was protection. It came in the form of a command. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Uh, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, uh, you shall not eat. So even in God's uh, protection, even uh, in God's commandments, there's protection and there's security. God puts up a guardrail, and it's called the Ten Commandments, and it is to guard us, to keep us from going off the rails. Because you and I, naturally, woo, you know, like the time you drove for the first time when you shouldn't have, and you took your parents' keys, and you drove down. Nobody did that before you had a license. Come on. 
Nobody wants to admit it. They're like, he'll call the cops. Uh, so, um, but God's built in these guardrails called the Ten Commandments. And you know what people do? They look at them and they say, God wants me to do, do, do. No, 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 no. God wants you protected. God cares about you. God watches over you. That's God's protection. There's protection in, involved in your identity. F, God created community with others, and we're to be part of the family of God. Uh, Genesis 2.18, God says, it is not good that man should be alone. Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man can be alone. He created us to be together, to cheer one another on in one thing, and that's seeking him and living, uh, two things, seeking him and living for him. As you spend time with other believers, you should be cheered on to be more Christ-like. F, and this is probably a big one for a lot of you, is void of shame. Or you get to the end of Genesis uh, 2.25 and it says that Adam and Eve were naked and they were unashamed. This doesn't mean just themselves. They were fully transparent with God and there was zero shame before the fall. All these things are true about a believer who has believed on Jesus for eternal life and is a Christian. These are all true. God is bringing you back to the garden with Christ. Right? 160 times in the New Testament. 160 in the epistles, Paul writes. Those are the short books. The Eons, right? Philippians, the Galatians, right? Colossians. Like, in the epistles, Paul writes 160 times this phrase, and the phrase is, in him. Uh, we can translate that uh, without being too loose, as we are his. We're, we're in him. He, we're, we're enveloped with God. We are his. We belong to Christ. You see, here's your identity. If we boil all these down, and you may phrase it differently, this is the one that works for me. This is not a piece of scripture. This is taking all these and putting them together. So this is a Ryan paraphrase of all these that we just looked at. You are fully loved and secure child of God. You are a fully loved and secure child of God. All of this fades. All of this has an expiration date. All of this ends. Even the one that I care about the most is going to be gone. There's going to be a day of betrayal. There's going to be a day of hurt. These will all fall short if I build my life on this. But if I build my life, my thinking, on the fact that I am a fully loved and secure child of God, what happens is I'm a better husband because I'm a secure child of God. That I'm not some insecure husband who's running down, running around, not sure what to do. Or I'm not an overly dominant husband who has to control because there's a God who controls. And there's a God who will whip me if I don't take care of my wife. And, and as a parent, I'm going to be a better parent if I'm a loved and secure child of God. If I know that my security ultimately lies with Jesus... If I know that the Father's plan for me is perfect, that God loves that child more than I do, that God will take care of my child when I'm not next to them. Some of you that are pregnant, wait till you drop your first child off at college. 
It's a bad day. You'll spend a lot of money. I'll be a better chaplain to the fire department if I love Christ, if I know I'm a fully secure and loved child of God. If that's my identity, then this doesn't become my identity. Be a better bobsled dude if I love Jesus and I rest in the fact that I am a fully loved and secure child of God. That's not changing. Inevitably, with the best parents, you will have moments where you feel like you have to earn another level of affection, where you have to please. With God, he looks at you and he's fully pleased and fully just uh, enamored with you because of Christ, not because of you, at your worst moment. He's going back to the garden. Are you following him back to the garden? Does this represent the way that you live out your life? Like, think about scripture for, for just a minute. 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. God openly calls you his child. Your child ever do anything and you're just embarrassed? You're like, I don't know whose kid that is kicking the car. You know, like, he is looking at you, and he's like, you are my child. And he displays it everywhere. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith. Now, we read these, and a lot of times in, in, in uh, some of these verses, it will say sons of God. It won't say daughters of God. That's kind of a cool deal. The reason that we're sons of God and not daughters of God this encompasses men and women. We are all sons of God. The reason he uses that language is a son gets an inheritance in the culture that he's speaking into. How cool is that? We have an inheritance as a child of God. Galatians 3.26, for you are all sons of God through faith. Uh, Galatians 4.4, I want to read this one. I want to read this one. Galatians 4.4. Ah. Uh, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Not adoption as daughters, to be second, second rate in this culture. Not our culture now, but in this culture when it was written. Uh, but to be, receive adoption as sons. That means you have an inheritance, every one of you. And that inheritance is heaven and Jesus. That is good news. I don't care how unenergized you are this morning. Uh, too much infinity war uh, endgame, right? So Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. He chose us in him, in him, before the foundations of the world. In love, he predestined us for adoption himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You are a fully loved and secure child of God. Amen? That is, that is your super suit, right? Some of you have been wandering around, and you're looking at all your stuff, and you're like, well, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a wife, hopefully not both at the same time. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a parent, you know, I'm a this, I'm a that, I'm a this, I'm a that. And you're wandering around, and you're like, where's my super suit? You know, you don't even know who you are. You can't answer that question. It's an okay spot before you walked in the door, but don't leave. Believe in that. That's garbage. You don't know who you are 
You are Christ's. You are his. Scripture says you're bought with a price. He's not returning you. He didn't save the receipt. It says he canceled it and nailed it to a cross. This is good news. You are a fully loved child of God. You are a fully secure child of God. This is good news. God employs nothing else to give you identity than your adoption paper stating that you are a child of God. God employed none of this stuff to give you identity. And yet most of us, we find our worth, we find our, our emotions all wrapped up in this. I.E. see Ryan on a Sunday afternoon when his sermon made zero sense. And we'll see how, where Ryan's identity is. But hopefully, day by day, my identity is more wrapped up in being a fully loved and secure child of God. Hopefully, day by day, it's better. Believers and followers of Jesus, we must quit trying to force temporal things to try to feed your identity. It's like eating junk food for your soul and then trying to run a marathon. Never done it, nor do I plan on doing it. Oh, well, not run a marathon. I hope someday that'd be cool, but, but eating junk food and then running, yeah. no, that'd be a mess. So good thing that porta potty's on the way, right? So, um, so does the gospel define my life, or have I lived out something different or gotten off track? Does the gospel define my life, or have I lived out something different or have gotten off track in some way? I'm going to give you three questions uh, to ask yourself in regards to your identity. Just three questions, and then we'll finish up here. Number one, do I define myself by what I do, where I work, and what my past accomplishments are? Just like cheering for the Boston Red Sox, they will break your heart. They will break your heart. <laughs> Not a Yankees fan, just to be transparent there. Everything else will end. Everything else will fade. Every one of them will betray you in some way, shape, or form. Number two, can I handle the silence and calm? I, if there was one of the three that I would put a star by, it would be this question. Can I handle silence and calm? Some of you are so trained, whether it's through, because of social media or because of your cell phone that's just overactive, uh, like some of our bladders, and you just have to look at it all the time. Some of us are trained for noise, but we are not trained to slow down, stop, and listen to the voice of God, i.e., take a Sabbath. When's the last time you took a Sabbath and just rested in the fact that you're a beloved child of God? Honestly. You can't handle silence and you have to have busyness. That's a major indicator that you've wrapped your identity in something else. You've wrapped it up in your kids. You've wrapped it up in your, uh, your lifestyle. You've wrapped it up in your work. Can I handle silence and calm? Number three, do I respond, or how do I respond to sin and failure? How do you respond to sin and failure? Do you just keep chugging on and hoping things will change? Or do you tend to beat yourself up and believe the lies that you're useless? God never shames. He leads you to repentance. God's rod and his staff is there to do what? To comfort us. Right? Because he's... he's walking alongside, and he's keeping us on track. If I'm living out my identity, I'm at peace and knowing that I have grace to make mistakes and I never compromise my relationship with the Lord. If we repent, we lean on the Holy Spirit to restore us. You will make mistakes. God is right there, and he is chanting out 
you are fully loved and you are a secure child of God. And that will not change. That's your identity. And now you learn slowly to walk that out. For some of you, this is a title uh, that you have accepted and walk out. For other people, as you're a believer, doing just like I am. I'm trying to, trying to get this. I'm trying to get this message ingrained. I'm trying to remember in moments of failure and in moments of, of sin that I'm a fully loved and secure child of God and allowing that grace of God to pour out and restore me. This title of fully loved and secure child of God is a title for every human being on this earth, even those that haven't trusted in Christ yet. They just have to take hold of it. It is a title that is awaiting you. John 1.12 says that we are the way that we come to faith in Jesus. So this is the person that, man, they have felt the tug from the Lord. They felt Jesus knocking at the door of their heart. Uh, they feel this nudge towards spiritual things. What that is, is that is God pulling you in and drawing you in, and he is awaiting you to believe that he loved you enough to die for you, to send his son to a cross for you, to raise from the dead to give you new life. And he asks two things, believe and receive. It, with, with as much oomph as you can muster, I want to receive Jesus. I want to believe that that's for me, that I've got a new identity. That's for me. And if you've never done that, it is that far away. It is one prayer away. It is one heart transformation away from accepting that truth. Believers, if you've gotten off track, know that you are fully loved and secure child of God and apologize that you've wrapped yourself up in stuff and not in him. This will fade. These are good things. These will fade. But you being loved and secure child of God will not fade. When the trumpet sounds, you fly up. Secure. Let's stand. We're going to have the band lead us in one more song. And uh, at the end of our services, we do a time we call invitation and worship. And uh, this is a time where if you uh, feel like you've got um, something that needs to be prayed over, that we've got some uh, prayer counselors up front that are here to to pray with you. You can look for somebody spiritual next to you, um, but we would